Reading your Bible, praying, finding time to be alone with God does not make you more acceptable to God, nor do those practices change you. Rather, it is where change happens, as we come to meet with our Father and connect with His heart. Our teacher on this important subject is author and speaker Preston Gillum of Fort Worth, Texas, when he spoke at the Christ's Life Conference hosted by Crossways to Life. May Father use this message to deepen your walk with Him. Well, good evening. What a great day. My goodness. Beautiful, beautiful day. Don took me out and I saw, saw some of the territory today. And uh, what a beautiful place that you guys have the privilege of living in. Um, well, I um, have changed up things a little bit. We're still going to talk about prayer. I had told you that I would do that tonight and the first part of tomorrow night. But as I thought about it today and looked over my notes and so on, and I decided that I wanted to push a little harder and finish up the topic of prayer tonight because I want to have an extra session tomorrow night to talk about um, the subject of personal retreat. Personal retreat, that is something that I have done for in excess of 20 years and wanted to share with you some of the practicalities of how I go about doing that, why I think it's a great idea, give you several options to think about and so on. But tonight I want us to spend some time uh, on the subject of prayer. We've uh, we started our conference talking about God's intervention into our lives, the personal story that he gives to each of us. We capitalized on that last night, talked about how God is a personal God, that he is engaged in our lives, that he gives us many different metaphors to think of him um, with in, uh, in an effort to try to understand who he is and who, our, who we are in relationship to him. And if he has gone to those great lengths, then it only seems reasonable that he would like for us to interact with him at some degree. Interacting with, with God has been a challenge for me. As I shared with you in part of my personal story, I um, worked diligently at what we call in Christian circles the spiritual disciplines, um, in an effort to try to perform well, perform like I thought God wanted me to perform, basically so that, A, I would keep him happy, and number two, keep him away from me. I figured if I was doing the right thing, then he wouldn't have any reason to show up. And my relationship with God was that I didn't, I couldn't think of anyone that I would um, want less to show up than God, because every time he showed up, bad things happened, it seemed to me. And so the best way I figured that I could keep my distance from him was if I gave him no reason to show up. And thus I worked hard at, uh, at doing the right things and so on. And one of those things included prayer. And I worked hard at prayer. I had lists and so on that I kept because I knew that I was supposed to pray and that that was one of the things that spiritual disciplines laid out for us and so on. It was the summer of 1976, and I had spent 17 days um, canoeing over uh, west of here in the Boundary Waters canoe area in the Quetico Superior Forest, and was now making my way with my buddy back 
through Chicago and back down in the central part of the United States where I was living at the time. And we stopped by to see his dad, who lived in northern uh, Illinois, uh, outside of Chicago. And um, he had a little summer house, and we had gone there for a few days, and it was out in the corn country. And uh, the corn was tall, and all the while that I had been on this canoe trip, I had known that there were some big decisions that I was facing. I was uh, in between my sophomore and junior years in college and was laboring with the decision of whether or not I should stay at Southeastern Oklahoma State University or whether I should transfer to Southwest Missouri State University. And... Um, and so I had thought about that a great deal while I was on that canoe trip in the wilderness, but I hadn't ever really uh, engaged God on the subject. Uh, one, because I dreaded uh, trying to talk with him, because every time I talked with him, I never got anything in response. It didn't seem like. And uh, the whole prospect of trying to find his will and so on was always just a laborious and agonizing kind of an experience. And so I'd put it off until the last minute. And it seemed to me that I was pretty well to that point. I had to make a decision within the next day or two about what I was going to do with regard to uh, uh, transferring schools and that sort of thing. You know, that doesn't happen by Saturday night, and so I needed to get a jump on it. really needed to make a phone call the next day. And so I excused myself from my buddy and his father, and I went for a walk and uh, on this dirt road that ran between the corn stalks, which were taller than my head. And I broached the subject of what God wanted me to do as I walked the dirt road. And as usual, there wasn't any forthcoming comment from God. And so eventually I, you know, got more intense with my conversation with him and and um, begged him, please give me some guidance here because I, I really want to be in your perfect will. Uh, I don't want to settle for the permissive will as I have been, had been taught, but I want to settle for the, I, I want nothing but the perfect will of God because the permissive will left plenty of room for God to come and show up. And like I said, when he showed up, bad things happened. So I wanted to be in the perfect will of God. And that way, if he showed up, I could say, hey, you don't have any cause to interfere with me. I'm in the perfect will as you defined it. And so I was in search of the perfect will of God. And, and had I been able to somehow or another, you know, get God by the arm and twist his arm up between his shoulder blades and so on and force him to give me an answer, I would have. But of course, as Job lamented in his book, he couldn't get God to come down and reason with him in civil, civil language. I remember sitting down on a, a culvert. Uh, finally, I'd walked my legs out, and so I was just sitting on this culvert, and I was just at my wit's end trying to get God to give me a word as to what he wanted me to do. And finally, as I listened just really, really hard, I thought, I kind of heard a whisper that he wanted me to transfer schools. And so with, you know, a great deal of frustration and really anger that God would not actually just tell me what he wanted me to do, I said, well, okay, I think I heard the will of God, and so that's what I will do. And that's what I did. The outcome of this was that I transferred schools and never broached the subject again with God. 
And therein, I think, is the point that I'd like for us to talk about tonight when we talk about uh, prayer, when we talk about things like trying to find the will of God. That summer of 1976, uh, in retrospect, turned out to be a point in my life where my perspective began to shift on God. I recognized something is fundamentally wrong in the way that I communicate with God. Now, in those days, I projected most of that uh, difficulty onto him and said, hey, I'm trying as hard as I know to try. I'm doing everything that I know to do in order to listen to you, put myself in the right kind of place, read the Bible, pray, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all these things that I'm trying to do. And you're the one that won't show up and and do your part on this deal. Of course, I knew that it was wrong to actually say those things to God, so I just thought them. Uh, you know, never realizing, you know, that there was, you know, kind of an incongruity there with my logic that if he, you know, can not only know all things, that includes what I'm thinking about. But anyway, I thought it was okay to think about it, but I didn't ever say that to God because that would have been um, insubordination, of course. Um, but at any rate, I knew at that point in time Something is really wrong here. Now, it was a long time, it was many years actually, before all of that began to shift. And part of the reason I tell you this story tonight with such great detail is because I want to try to uh, share with you in the space of you know two sessions my journey of, of working my way through this subject of how is it that you communicate with God and how is it that you hear back from Him. God has uh, not changed your life, and he has really no interest in changing your life. There's nothing worth changing in your life. The theology that we hold dear is that God has exchanged your life. He gave you a brand new life. He took your life, which was inherently rebellious toward him. He crucified it in Christ, and then he gave you a new life, the life of Christ, who now lives in you in the form and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And inside you, the Holy Spirit, just as Don and Sherry guided us in worship to think, that Holy Spirit cries out inside of us with a term of, of uh, affinity for God. Cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa, a term of endearment to Him. The Holy Spirit is crying that out inside of us helping us express the desire of our heart, which is to be close to God. Well, if this is the arrangement that God has figured out for us, whose lives have been redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ, then why in the world would he play cat and mouse with us? You know, I told you the other night about my cat buddy that lives next door, Gomer, Gomer the cat. I was outside one one night, sitting on the steps, and Gomer was out in the front yard, and I noticed that uh, Gomer had a mouse that he had caught, and um, but he hadn't killed it, and so Gomer would let the mouse go, and the mouse would kind of hop through the grass, and then Gomer would go and catch it all over again, and then he'd bring it back close to me, and lie down. And hold the rat, hold the uh, mouse in his uh, mouth, you know, tail hanging out, 
He'd sit there and meow at me. And then he'd put the mouse down and he'd watch the mouse kind of hop away. And then he'd get up and go capture it again and come back. And he was just toying with this mouse, letting the mouse think that he was getting ready to get, you know, getting ready to escape. And then he'd go traumatize the thing all over again by catching it again. That's what it means to play cat and mouse. And in all candor, I spent a long time in my Christian life believing that that was the way that God treated me, that he played cat and mouse with me. Hey, I have given you this. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm going to praise you for that. And as soon as I praise you for this, then it's not forthcoming. I don't see it. Come on, God. And then he'd show me something else, and then it would like he'd pull back. And he'd... Pull back. He'd play cat and mouse with me. And so that was part of my trust issue with God. I want to be close to you, it seems, but you won't show up and do what I want you to do. Did you catch that? You won't show up and do what I want you to do. When I think of prayer, I think there are two perspectives. And I'll do some oversimplification tonight just so we can get through this. But I think there are two perspectives on prayer. One, there is our perspective as as humankind. And second of all, there's God's perspective. Our perspective as people is that we tell God some things that are on our minds We get his attention, theoretically, and get him to do then what we want him to do because we have addressed him properly in prayer. Dear God, blah, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. And it's like a formula. You know, if I pray in this certain way at a certain time with a clean heart and all my sins are confessed and so on and on my knees with my hands properly folded, etc., then God will... And you fill in the blank. He will take care of my financial issue. He will tell me what his will is. He'll get my wife to do what I want her to do. He'll straighten out my kid. He'll heal me. He'll, you know, whatever the issue might be. If I pray, then God will. Often our prayers are asking God to give us more of the world in a way. I've been talking to him recently about my retirement portfolio. I don't know if anybody else has, but I've been saying, hey, you know what? Uh, have you know, have you looked at these numbers lately? I mean, I was thinking that this was your provision for me, but it's looking pretty bad. You know, would you give me, and then I can feel more secure. After all, up until a few months ago, I was on my way to financial security when I retire. And now then, I don't feel secure any longer. In fact, I've taken several steps backward, and there's no way that I can see how I'm going to catch up. I don't have enough years. So, will you give me more security as I define it. Sometimes we ask, I think, for God to give us solace for our fleshly ways. Father God, I have tried everything I know to do to get my wife to meet my needs. Would you please tell her to do X, Y, Z? 
when all the while what I am really saying is I want to control her. I want her to meet this particular need in my life rather than looking to you who is the one who promises to meet my needs. And so oftentimes when we go and we talk to God about the things that are on our minds and in our hearts about you know, and, and we call it prayer, we're really asking him to give us more of the world and solace for our fleshly ways. You know, there's a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 7. It begins with verse 1. It runs through about six verses there. Um, everybody kind of twists the passage and tries to make it a passage about whether or not you can get remarried or not if you've been divorced. And I think that's uh, an improper treatment of the passage of Scripture because really what the point of the passage of Scripture is is that God is trying to say to us that he loved us with a desperate love, but he noted that we were married to the law because we were lost. And so what he did was uh, he considered, apparently, Killing the law, but then he said, oh, I can't do that because the law is perfect. It's good, so I can't do that. I tell you what I'll do. I will kill you in Christ so that you will no longer be legally tied to the law. And then I will resurrect you, and then I will court you to see if you will connect yourself to me in marriage. I mean, it's a crazy idea. I mean, God ought to be on the Jerry Springer show, you know? It's a crazy idea, but that's what he did. So desperate is his love for us. So desperately does he want to convey his heart. So much is he leaning over the ramparts of heaven that he would come in Christ and do what Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, describe for us. But then the passage goes on and say, and to, to say that when we are married to Christ, that we often go back then and sleep with our former spouse, the law. It's an adulterous relationship. Only God is the one who is being stepped out on, and we are the ones committing the adultery. See it? Well, in that passage of Scripture... Uh, is is the scriptural basis, if you will, of what I've just been trying to say about when we pray and ask God to meet our needs via the world. And when we ask God to give solace to our flesh, basically what we're asking is that he would fund, if you will, or he would support our adultery by sleeping with some other mentor, some other, some other sugar daddy other than him. In other words, we try to cast God into behaving according to our perspective, according to our wish. Oftentimes, that's the way we approach prayer in our human mind. Now, there's another perspective. It's, a, it's the perspective of, of, uh, of God. And I think what God is trying to say to us through the balance of Scripture is that he wants to talk to us. He wants to interface with us. He wants to communicate with us. He wants to connect with us. After all, through the work of Christ, he has created in us a brand new person 
who is endowed with the capacity to not only communicate with him, but to also bond with him at the heart level. Remember the other night we talked about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, that talks about how that that God has given us a new heart, and it is a heart that is clean. There are other passages of Scripture, especially Old Testament passages that are prophetic, that say that when you become a believer in the New Testament sense, that God gives you a new heart and he inscribes his wishes on the walls of it. And so when we as people then talk about living out of our hearts, what we're really saying is, is that we have sunk down into the recesses of our hearts. We have read the inscribed words that are on the walls there. And we have come out of our hearts to live out of or in accordance with or in, in concert with the desires of God. Which we've read on the wall of our heart. And we have seen are compatible, are expressive of the desire that we have. There is a bond, in other words, that is part of the relationship that we have with God. And we, when we touch that, when we sense that, we're aware of there is something in me that wants to lean. There's something in me that wants to trust. There is something in me that wants to engage. And so God has recreated us, made us new people with a capacity to talk to him, to interact with him, to connect with him, to spend time with him. In other words, what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is that when we talk about prayer, I like to think of it as a discussion. It's a discussion. It can be something that we do in a formal fashion. I'm going to talk about that, give you some illustrations and so on, because sometimes that's helpful. I pray in formal ways sometimes. But then there is another side of prayer that is informal. And I'm going to talk about that as well. I'm going to share with you how I pray in those sorts of of ways. I'm going to give you some illustrations. I'm actually going to take you into a discussion that I'm going to have um, in a little bit with uh, with Father. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, say this, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now, the takeaway, I got beat over the head with this verse all the time growing up, but the takeaway for me from this verse, as I sit down now and, and look at it, is that, is that what, what Father wants, what he's looking for with this passage of Scripture, is that I sit down and I say to him, Father, as you know, there is this matter of my financial portfolio. And as I look at it, I am concerned. And I carry on 
a discussion. I express my heart uh, on this matter. I tell him what's on my mind in the same language with which, actually probably a little more candid if you really want to know the truth, than I even express to Diane when we talk about this. And then I say, but there it is, Father. What I really want to know, though, is what is your perspective? What is your perspective on this? Tell me, will you? Because fundamentally, I want to know what you think on this, not what I'm reading in the news or what I, you know, what my best wisdom is, etc. So when I look at this passage out of James, I begin my prayers against this context and say, Father, as you know, blah, 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 but what is your perspective? Would you tell me? And I'm going to talk to you in a minute about how I listen. One of the things that is an impediment to our listening is that we are so incredibly busy with the demands, the time demands. And you know what? There is simply no way that we can do justice to any of the important relationships in our lives unless we carve out time for them. And I don't care what relationship you're talking about. I don't care if it's God, your wife, your kids, or the dog. You simply cannot give uh, the proper due, the proper import to a relationship that you do not put the proper time into. And so I have uh, had to go into my life and rearrange it and reorganize it in order to prioritize the relationships that are important to me. And I've had to do this across that whole spectrum that I was just describing to you. Um, Luke chapter 22 says, And Jesus came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he arrived at the place, that is the Mount of Olives, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down, and he began to pray. In other words, Jesus went away, and the three little words that I emphasized, as was, or four words, as was his custom. In other words, he did this regularly. He carved out time to go to a place and go through a routine that was habitual for him. One of the things that that just worked wonders for me in my prayer life was um, that I got a dog. And um, the way this unfolded was that I got the dog and I trained the dog to walk with me as opposed to the dog walking me. You know, you see some of these people walking the dog, you know, and it's, it's like this. I found an obedience class. I went to the obedience class, which I found out is not them training the dog, it's them training you on how to train the dog. But anyway, they trained me on how to train my dog, and uh, the dog's name was Honey, Honey the dog, as opposed to Honey the wife. Um, but I uh, had a good idea on the Honey name, I figured that if the wife was named Honey and the dog was named Honey, that when I called Honey, both the wife and the dog would come. Well, uh, the wife did not come and the dog was slow to come. So anyway, it was a good plan. It just didn't work. But at any rate, I digress. 
So anyway, Honey the dog and I would go walk, and I had trained her to walk right here. And there's a certain way that all this happens. I won't go, go through it all. But the point is that, is that the dog follows, it, it cues off of your, your leg. Okay, and so whatever my legs are doing, that's what the dog's doing. And so I trained the dog to walk, and it took me a while to get this done. And I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any long-range plan here other than just to get the dog to walk right and quit pulling on me and so on. But what happened was, is that every night I'd go out and I'd train the dog to walk, and after a while she got the hang of this. But what I discovered was, is that not only had I trained her to walk and take her cue off of my leg, but I had trained her that we were going to walk every night. Every night. And even in the rain. And I would take the dog uh, out to the back door, and I would tell her, Honey, hurry. And I'd boot her out the door. Hurry's the magic word for go use, your, go use the bathroom. Hurry. And she wouldn't want to go out because it was raining. You know, but I'd boot her out, and she'd go out, and she just hated to get wet and so on. Then she'd come back in, and she'd want to go out the front door for a walk. And so I would try to explain the dog, Hey, it's raining out front just like it's raining out back. But she didn't get that. She still wanted to go for a walk. And you know what? She would not let up. She persisted. And unless it was just a torrent, I had to take the dog for the walk. And so I discovered that every night I had a block of time where I wasn't doing anything except watching her mark the neighborhood. And it became a great time for me to pray. So you say, boy, I'm having a hard time disciplining myself and so on. And I'd say, get a dog. Teach it to walk, and then the dog will be your accountability partner. (laughs) Honey, the dog died, um, and I wrote a year and a quarter later this journal entry. Of course, I tracked my lack of consistency in walking the neighborhood and praying from an X on the calendar. It occurred the day Honey passed. I have been inconsistent with my walks for the past year and a quarter. I miss her mightily. I'm getting better, but her loss was a great wound in my heart that has left me vulnerable to inconsistency. I have sought other solitudes for talk time with Father, but just not the evening walks in the neighborhood. I really need to capture those again. So get a dog. You can see what the deficit caused. And the deficit is testimony to the benefit. God's perspective is, I will take care of you, press. I'm not worried about the future. There is that amazing passage of scripture that says that our God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I don't know how he's going to do that. I don't know how he's going to fix the problem that I've got in my financial portfolio. I have no idea. Um, he may not fix it. He may decide that we are not going to be able to recover from this. I don't know. And if that happens, I don't have a plan. I don't have a clue what his plan will be. But I know this. He's promised that he'll take care of my needs. And if he has promised, why should I worry? Have you ever been out? to eat with a guy who is really rich and he's going to pick up the tab. It's an, it's an interesting experience. You know, you go out and you, you know, you open the menu and there aren't any prices. 
And that's the first cue. Uh-oh. You know, this is going to be a big ticket deal. And so while I'm looking there, you know, and I'm kind of feeling around to be sure that I didn't forget my billfold just in case he did, you know, and thinking, no, I have a high enough credit limit that I could pay, you know, and so on. Meanwhile, he's just, you know, he's looking at this. He orders an appetizer. Man, I don't ever order an appetizer. I'm too cheap to order an appetizer. But he orders appetizers. He orders snails or something weird, you know, and he does that. And he orders a nice bottle of wine and, it, or, you know, and so on. And the bill comes and he tips 20% as opposed to 15%. He doesn't sit there and try to figure it out to the dime. I mean, he just says, oh, it looks like, you know, just fills in something, you know. Why? I mean, do I worry about that meal when I know he's paying? No, because I know he's got it covered. I know that God has blessed him with resources to pick up the tab for whatever that meal is going to cost. Well, God is the ultimate rich guy. Why would I worry about whatever the tab is for my car or my house or my portfolio or my beans and rice for tomorrow? Why should I care? Why should I worry? He's got it taken care of. And so... In other words, my point is, when I go to him in prayer and I say, Oh, God. Almighty God. I should kneel. Almighty God. Look at my portfolio and so on. I think he's saying, what's the point again? I'm missing it. Would you explain to me the point? Well, it's down this many percentage points. So, I got all the money in the world. I got the cattle on a thousand hills. What's the issue again? It'd be like me questioning my rich friend on, hey, are you sure you got enough money to buy an appetizer? Shouldn't we buy the bottle of wine with the screw top as opposed to that cork? I mean, would that not be offensive to my friend? And yet I do it all the time to God. I think he's interested, in other words, in talking about other things. Certainly I tell him, by the way, Father, I talked to Derek about our portfolio. It doesn't look good. But hey, you're the one that funded it in the first place, and I know that you're going to take care of it. After all, I've been you know, running a, a, a non-profit organization for 30 years. I've seen you provide month after month after month, and sometimes it's just a miraculous thing. So why should I worry now just because I'm not there? I mean, i got no salary right now. I got no job. All right, I got no job as of September the 1st. And I'm sitting and thinking, you know, on the airplane coming up here, you know what? This is a bad time to be unemployed. What's the implication of that statement? That my job was my source? That's the implication of it. I know better than that. My job is not my source, God is my source. And for a while, he chose to take care of me through that job. But now then, he's got a new plan. I don't know what it is, but he's got a new plan. And so I have a discussion with him that is indicative of my understanding of who he is as my personal God. Now, do you see why we talked about what we talked about last night? He is indeed holy, high, lifted up, and heavens are his throne, earth is his footstool, etc. All of that is true. But it is also true that he lives in me. 
Prayer is not like going into the boss's office and getting instructions for the next project. I was a boss for 30 years. Had these uh, great employees, bright people, smart, talented, so on, gifted people. I prayed all the time, said, Father, send me the best people that you can spare. Help me uh, figure out how to make them everything that they have the potential to be and then stay out of their way so that they can just rock and roll. Had all these people around me and so on, great people and so on. But you know what? No matter how smart they were, no matter how talented and so on, they were always hesitant when they came into my office. You know why? Because I signed their paycheck. And there wasn't anything I could do to get past that. I knew I would never be their friend so long as I was their boss. Prayer is not like going into the boss's office and saying, okay, boss, um, you know, I've got this project that I need to do. Like these preparations. Okay, God, I've got to go up to... Um, to the meeting in Kitchener-Waterloo, and I really need to get this laid out. What do you want me to say? Would you please spell that out, and then I'll go away, and I'll go to work on it. God is not like a boss to, into whose office you go and ask for instructions so that you can complete the project and then report back later as to your progress. Rather, as we talked last night, Prayer is like interacting with your father, your friend, your spouse. That's what he wishes. My last day at my job was midnight September the 1st. At 6 a.m. on September the 2nd, I was on my way to Decatur, Texas to pick up my buddy Marshall. And Marshall and I uh, rendezvoused at a gas station just outside Decatur, and then we rode together to Colorado, and we spent a we spent the better part of a week then uh, fishing up in the uh, up in the Rocky Mountains in in Colorado. It's about a twelve hour drive for me with my sorry back, and um, so anyway, Marshall and I had twelve hours, in other words, in the truck between uh, Decatur and Kachara, Colorado. We talked some heavy stuff. As friends, uh, he wanted to know about, you know, my resignation from my job and how all that was working, how I felt about it and blah, blah, blah. And we talked about that. and We talked about other issues and kids and relationships, etc. And then we also talked, as I described last night, we drove through that magical part of, of the northeast corner of New Mexico, you know, the vol- volcanic area with all the antelope and everything. And as we drove through all that, we spent a lot of time wondering whether antelope jump barbed wire fences or where they go under barbed wire fences. Then we spent a lot of time fishing. Once we got to Kachara uh, on Friday nights, we'd go down and help bus tables for our friend Cal, who owns the dog bar and grill. In other words, that is the picture of what it looks like for two friends to interface and to interact with each other over the course of about ten days. That's what we did. Well, if that's the way God describes himself, it seems to me that that interaction would be indicative of what God is expecting. And what I'm, what I am postulating for you, what I'm trying to convince you of is, I believe that that interaction, when you take Marshall out of the equation and put God in the equation, is prayer. That's what prayer is.
you don't warm up to a boss. I uh, have a delightful lady that worked for me for uh, about uh, 10 years, I think, named Rainey. And uh, Rainey was just a, a delight, a delightful person to work with. And we've, um, uh, of course, fought many, many battles together and had many victories and a few defeats and so on. But, you know, Rainey was my employee. Um, she resigned uh, about a year ago, now that I think about it, and took a job out in California. Hated to see her go. means I don't get to have coffee with her on any sort of a regular basis. But I was really glad to see her go because she no longer works for me. Now then she can just be my friend. And you know what? Our friendship has just exploded. It's the coolest thing. She was in town at the end of May. I spent some time with her. Diane and I got to hang out with her. And it was just the greatest deal. Because as a, because that impediment of expectation, that uh, here's an assignment, go do it, come back, report to me like I was wanting God to do when I was talking to him on that, in that cornfield in Illinois. That impediment is gone. That expectation is gone. It's been disarmed. I no longer sign her paycheck. Instead, when she sits down with me, she sits down eye to eye as a friend. You warm up to your family, to your friends, to your spouse. Prayer is a discussion with God. That's what it is. It's a discussion with God. And it is noteworthy to me that when it comes to communication, God saw fit to give us one mouth and two ears. I believe that was not by mistake. I think I'm supposed to listen twice as much as I talk. So how do you talk with God? Well, there are um, several rules of thumb. Let me run through some of these for you. I'll buzz through them fairly quickly. First of all, there is the counsel of others. The counsel of others. This is one of the ways that God communicates with us, especially when we think in terms of trying to find God's will. What does God want? What does he want me to do? Well, there's the counsel of other people. You know, um, the secret here is to find the right people. To find the right others. In other words, it's no good just to pool ignorance. You're not going to pool ignorance and come up with wisdom, in other words. Uh, if you're expecting to hear from God, and all you have are the best ideas of people around you, what will happen is your soul will wither inside. And if you have believed that this counsel of others... To, you know, with whom you're hearing small, uh, man-sized thoughts, if you have believed that those people are going to give you the will of God, then when your soul withers, you're going to feel as though God has let you down and Satan is going to show up and accuse God of being less than you believe he is or should be or needs to be. So when we talk about the counsel of others, it's essential that I put the people around me who can help me truly understand what's going on in the mind of God. I need to think very carefully about who those people are in that circle around me. 
It's one of the prayers I pray frequently. It's one of the great discussion things that God and I speak about with regularity. Um, The Bible speaks in Proverbs 20 of wise guidance. It says, prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. That's chapter 20, verse 18. Uh, Chapter 24, verse 6, for by wise guidance you will wage war and in abundance of counselors. There is victory. It is biblical for me to put wise people around me. It is biblical for me to call upon them and say, Hey, I've got this, this, and this in front of me. Would you help me think about this? I feel like I'm just blind to it. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, um, in New Testament terms, in Christ Jesus are hidden all of the riches of God. Um, The Old Testament way of speaking this would be that in Christ Jesus is the wisdom of God, is the knowledge of God, is the understanding of God. All of the genius of God is in Christ Jesus because Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Scriptures ought to be triggering off here as I'm talking about this. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. John chapter 1 describes him as uh, against, it, it compares him against Moses, and it says, Moses came and gave us the law of God. Jesus Christ showed up and explained God. So I get to know Christ. I spend time thinking about who he is and so on. And I I understand. I gain wisdom. I gain knowledge because there is no wisdom. There is no knowledge. There is no guidance. Understanding that is apart from God, Proverbs teaches us. Let me give you the embodiment of this. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, Therefore, my son, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here's the point. Verse 7, consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. But the first, the, the, the linchpin, the, the first step is consider, think about, meditate on this, discuss this with God. Go to Him, talk to Him about these things. Go to Him and talk to Him about what sort of things. The backdrop of this passage of Scripture is talk to Him about grace. Talk to him about teaching, that is discipleship. Talk to him about translation of what I'm teaching you. Talk to him about building into others what I have entrusted to you. Consider these things. Talk to him about this stuff Paul is telling him. That's a discussion that's going on between Timothy and God as proposed by or instructed by Paul. 
So who are these people then that I put around me to help me consider, to help me think about these things, the people who I disciple, the people who disciple me, that is, who speak into my life about important things and so on. For me, these people are on the telephone. I need safe people. Part of what that means is I don't need the guy living next door necessarily to me. He may be too close. I need somebody that is safe, somebody that is tested and proven to be safe, so that when I go to this person, there is there isn't a question in my mind about whether I can be honest. I need somebody that I can go and I can just spill stuff out on the table and then say, hey, would you just help me sort on this? Help me sort on this. I met a friend uh, besides Marshall up in Colorado named Kevin. Um, Kevin gave me a text message just before I came here tonight. Said, uh, says, I'm praying for you, comrade. Calls me comrade. Um, I had a lot going on in my head. We went for a long walk. And I just dumped it all out. And several times I told him, I said, I'm sorry. This isn't coming out any more of a systematic way. It's just, it's all a jumble. And he said, hey, I love you. That's fine. Just dump it out here. I'm paying attention. I dumped it out on him for about 45 minutes. Got back to the porch, sat down on the porch, and he said, you know. And then boom, boom, boom. I got great counsel. That's where some of those people are. So I call them. I go see them. Uh, Some of these people are on the radio. Not everybody that's on the radio, but tested people who are on the radio. CD. In other words, you avail yourself of the counsel that God has entrusted to others through media that you have access to. Books, for example. MP3s. Over coffee. I sat down uh, two, no, let's see, two days before I got on the airplane and flew up here, sat on over coffee with Victor. And Victor... uh, He's a great big old guy, real gregarious and so on. And he said, uh, so dude, tell me what's going on with you. Victor is a trusted, a trusted soul. So I told him, here it is, Victor, dumped it out on the table. He's a counselor to me. Who are those people in your life? You know what? Um, I have prayed and prayed and prayed for those people in my life. I met with one of my close buddies in Fort Worth, a guy named Lamar. Um, Lamar was uh, running a great big company, and of course I was running a little bitty company, but nevertheless, we're running stuff. And um, we got together, and we were talking about you know, how our lives were going and that sort of thing. And I told him, I said, you know, Lamar, I feel like I am naked standing on top of a hill. I feel really vulnerable. I need some people around me, and I just I just don't feel like I got that. And he said, I feel the same way. I said, well, what do you think we ought to do? And he said, well, I think we ought to pray. I said, for what? He said, I think we ought to pray for some people. I said, all right. He said, let's pray. And so we went away and we prayed. A couple weeks later, we got back together, and we had lunch again, and we both agreed. We still feel naked standing on a hilltop. I said, have you heard from God? No, I haven't heard from God. I said, well, I haven't either. I guess he's out of town. So what do you think we ought to do? Well, I think we ought to pray again. And so we went away. Three times we went away. Two weeks at a pop, three weeks at a pop, something like that. Got together one day. We 
you know, checked in. No, I haven't heard anything and so on. Uh, later the next day, I get a call from a guy named John. The guy says, hello, is this Preston Gillen? Yep, this is Preston Gillen. So, uh, hello, my name's John Ott. And said, you don't know me. I said, well, no, I don't think I do. He said, well, I'm friends with Lamar. Oh, I know Lamar. And he said, you know, I call Lamar. There's a few of us that are going to get together. And uh, we thought we'd get together on Wednesday mornings and just spend a little time, uh, you know, in the kitchen drinking coffee and telling lies and that sort of thing. And then we'd go into the conference room and we thought we'd read a book together and, and talk about what we're reading and then pray together and then go to work. And we thought of Lamar, and we asked him to be in the group, and I called him, and he said, I'd love to be in the group, provided that you invite my friend Press. So I'm calling to invite you. Would you come? I said, I'll be there. It's an answer to prayer. You know what? That was 13 years ago. 13 years ago. And every Wednesday morning, for 13 years, I have met with those guys. And we do exactly today what we did the very first day that we met. We gather in the kitchen. We drink decaffeinated coffee because one of our buddies has an irregular heartbeat. And in honor to him, at 7 a.m. in the morning, we drink decaffeinated coffee. We tell lies in the kitchen for about 30 minutes. And then we go to the conference room and we sit down and we read a book together. And we talk about the observations that we've had as we've read this book. Uh, and so it's a Christian-type book. We talk about the insights and so on. Then we talk about what's going on in our lives. We hold hands around the table. We pray together. Then we get up and we leave and go to work. One of the uh, books that I read some time ago was by a guy named uh, Stephen Covey. And in the book uh, that Stephen Covey wrote, one of the exercises that he talks about is when you think about, as he calls it, keeping the end in mind, he says you should think about your epitaph. What would you like for your epitaph to be? And so it's all supposed to get you thinking about how do I want to live my, my life today so that it'll look thus, uh, you know, when I pass away. And so I, you know, did that exercise. And then I got to thinking, well, you know, if I was to die, I wonder who would carry my coffin down the aisle? Who would the pallbearers be? And so I sat down and I thought about that for a while and I didn't have a good answer. And so I thought about it a little bit more. And the thing that was troubling me was that I didn't have 12 guys in my church that are however many it is, I guess it's 12, that carry your box down the aisle. And then I thought, no, I do have those guys. They're the guys on Wednesday morning. That's how close we have become. That's that relationship. That is what the Bible is speaking of when it talks about counsel and hearing from God. Um, There are other things in the Bible that people uh, talk about when they talk about getting the will of God, finding the will of God. Um, They're legitimate. I think they fall short. Things like... um, the story in Judges where Gideon is trying to find out the will of God and he lays out fleeces, you know, uh, sheep fleece, and asks God, you know, hey, let the ground around the fleece be wet with dew, but the fleece be dry if this is what you want. And then the next day, just to be sure I got this right, I'm going to lay this out again. Would you let the fleece be wet and the ground be dry? And so, you know, and so I hear people talk about, well, this is the fleece that I've put out before God. 
You know, if I was God, I wouldn't answer the prayer. I would be offended. But bless his dear heart, in his divine humility, as Lewis calls it, he condescends to work with us at that level. The problem I have with fleeces is very simple. There's no communication. There's no discussion. Open doors and closed doors. It's a biblical concept. Romans chapter 1. Paul talks about, um, he, he says, I have tried many times to come to you, but I have pre- been prevented thus far. There was a closed door. And so Paul is clearly saying, I believe this is what I ought to do, but these closed doors, blah, 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 have prevented me. So yeah, it's biblical, this open door, closed door kind of a thing. But instead of communicating with my Heavenly Father and carrying on a conversation with Him, I'm saying, hey, here's what I'm expecting from you, and then I start looking at the doors. One of the things that has been really helpful to me when it comes to hearing God and communicating with God is um, the act of writing, a journal. And um, I want to visit with you about this concept uh, after the break. I want to talk to you about why this is an interesting idea. I want to take some of the pressure off of you that would say, oh my, I've got to sit down and write in this perfect prose, um, this journal or something. And I want to, you know, uh, uh, release you from some of those burdens. I want to tell you what I do, why I do this. And in so doing, I want to begin to bring you into my world, um, not so that you can necessarily do what I do because it's right, but so that you will have a glimpse of how I do so that you can maybe say, oh, well, I'll take this and this and this, and I can apply that, and I'll go and talk with God about that and see if this might form some of the relationship that he would like to have when it comes to personally praying with him. So, Father, between now and when we get back from our break, would you help us to maintain this focus the points that we uh, have personally taken away here, would you thread those together into a point of meaning such that when we get back together, you can capitalize on that and take us to the place where you'd like for us to be at the end of the evening. In the name of Jesus, amen. This message was recorded at the Christ is Life Conference hosted by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know God deeper and disciple Christians on their journey to life and freedom that they may love others from their new pure heart by faith in Jesus Christ, living through them as a result of their union with Christ at the cross. For more information, upcoming events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.